What's up, everyone? Welcome back. This is an all-new episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap. I'm your host, Paul Rabel, and I'm also very excited for this one. We welcome on today's show a very close friend of mine, Atlas Teammate. That's two weeks straight of Atlas Teammates. This show is not partial. This person is also, though, the self-proclaimed fittest athlete in the PLL. That's right, bitches. Kyle Hartzell, he's like me, a 34-year-old still at the top of his game. And he trains relentlessly. And on the show, we talk about his training routines. We also talk about how, for most of his career, he's gone unnoticed. Under-recruited, actually not recruited, played at JUCO. We'll hit on that in a little bit. Everything that fuels this guy, even how he posts on pregame Instagram pictures of Hannibal Lecter. He's got a few screws loose. But throughout the show, we also sprinkle in a few reactions from the opening weekend in college lacrosse, which was wild. So let's get it, 81. <laughs> All right, we are here at the PLL Podcast Studios, and I'm sitting across from a dear friend of mine. He's actually like my best friend, Kyle Hartzell. What's up, guys? Quadrupling down on your athletic career now. You say you want to play till you're 40? Play until I'm 40, maybe 50, we'll see. Now, now it's 50? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, get the, we'll get the 40 first, and then we'll make a decision You're from 34. 34. So I prefaced opening it with sitting with one of my great friends because uh, there's probably going to be some bias, or at least people are going to think that, uh, you know, hey, Paul, you're supposed to be interviewing the PLL player across from you. And I'll say that we, uh, we've, we've developed our relationship because we've played professionally for 12 years together and a little bit against each other. But even when we played against each other in MLL, we were playing with each other in NLL at the time. We've been roommates we didn't know each other prior to then, even though we both grew up in Maryland. Yeah. So well, I think we met Meta Jays at the uh, old Merritt facility. That's when he was right. Still leasing out of I don't know what area that was, but uh, that's where we kind of first met. We were working out. I remember Sean Natalin was in there. That psycho. Well, I yeah. remember seeing him, and he just like whooped my ass in a three hundred. And he was like, I think he was thirty five at the time. I was like, who the hell is this guy? And then uh, that's when I met you kind of shortly thereafter. That was OG Jay Dyer. Yeah. So that was before he had his own facility, and we were at the Merit Clubs, as you said. And we would run 300s in this small area that was right next to treadmills. So it was kind of dangerous looking back at it. And then we would uh, work out in like one of those mini Pilates studios cleared of equipment. So we do our agilities there. And uh, we worked our asses off, man. That's when we were 23 and 24. Yep, working out pretty much every day. No every pain, day. Not, Two and a half hours training. Didn't have to stretch. Just grinding as hard as we could and then just go to Chipotle. And <laughs> yep, that's when you had that Chipotle card. I had that Chipotle celebrity card. <laughs> and the problem is I had it for three year, four years, and then they caught up to me. Uh, so the celebrity card was, hey, you know, you get you get a free burrito a day if you want. You're not going to actually do it. And not only was I doing it because I love Chipotle, uh, but then we realized quickly that uh, there was no cap on the purchase of the burrito. So I was like, you know, one, I think you were like, dude, you know, pick up my burrito this time. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And then it rung through. I was like, huh. Started to get more guys involved. So, you know, I was hosting. I was being a good friend and – you know, we would get two burritos every day after workouts, and I think that caught up to me because a few years later, I didn't get renewed. Yeah, I mean, you probably were doing a million dollars a year in burritos. No. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we trained a bunch together. Um, was that – yeah, so I guess we met there. I'm trying to think 
we played against each other. You were, you think we did. You were drafted last to the Dragons, the San Francisco Dragons in the MLL. Was that very right? last pick? Yeah, in the supplemental draft, the garbage draft. So, so you weren't even picked in the college draft, and then you went in the supplemental draft. Yep, and played D midi for like my first five games, and then played uh, long stick. Yeah, because that first game we were in San Francisco, and I remember going against Emart, who was Eric Martin, who was the the best long stick midi in the league at the time, and we went off that game. And then, uh, you know, like you typically do, we were having a conversation at Jay's about it and you were going, no, nah, what are you talking about, man? I fucking covered you and you didn't beat us. And I'm like, that actually didn't happen. I, I don't even remember you being on the field. <laughs> no, I had a short, I think I had a, I think actually Mikey Powell was on your team at the time yep. and I was guarding him behind the cage and he like crossed me up really bad because I've never, I'm coming straight from division three. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you're going to guard Mikey Powell. I'm like. Oh, great! It's gonna be great. And then, like, he was just so goddamn good. No fear. No, I was I was scared shitless going against. It's my first professional matchup going against arguably probably the best player attackman ever play the game. Um, yeah, it was kind of nerve wracking, and he he was so goddamn fast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was. It was interesting playing against him. But heard how fast he was, but you never get to see that until you're right in front of them and actually coming at you. But yeah. Did you train as hard in college when you went to Salisbury as you do now? Yeah, was, was it a big part of their curriculum? I feel like it, it's not. J uh, Jim Berkman, he like had this thing always like get you know get your edge in today. Um, so I think when I got to Salisbury, shortly thereafter, I trained with um, Dan Carmack, who he played at UMBC. You actually probably played against him. He's he's a special forces operator now. Um, so he's. Uh, but I got my work ethic, I think, from him. And then when I went to Salisbury, Jim Berkman, I mean, he he was really good at motivating people, and he motivated the shit out of me. And ever since I kind of you know, met him and for my first time, like stepping on campus at Salisbury, he was just like motivated the shit out of me. And I just, every single day was on the wall. I was in the weight room just in the morning before practice, working out 6am, just doing, going above and beyond what everybody else was doing at school. So you just, do you love the grind? Yeah. I you love do. it. I love it. I, I just think, you know, because there are people like Muhammad Ali who would say he hated the workouts. He hated the grind. We knew it was a price to pay. Yeah, but you actually love it. Yeah, I love it. But you know, sometimes, as you know, like you get up in the morning, you're not feeling it. Some days, um, you just push yourself through it. I mean, we've been doing it all our careers, and yeah. I'm 34 years old, and I still want to develop and you know get faster if that's possible. But you know, I'm, I'm ever since being out in LA now, there's more of an emphasis on it. It's always nice weather out here, so I'm always outside. We work out with Doug, and then you know, Equinox has the outside gym upstairs, which is really great. Yeah. So we're always. You know, I'm pretty much doing today. I got two workouts. I'm doing a leg workout and then cardio after. So when are you doing that tonight? Equinox. You want to come? Oh, you are. Yeah, yeah I have. I have a, a block in my calendar for this evening. I was planning on doing it at the gym we have here at the office, but yeah, I'm doing I'm that. That psychotic J. It's like the 500 meters on the ski erg, and then you jump uh, on the yeah. bike, and then yeah. That's what you're doing today. Yeah. Would you say you're the fittest player in the league? I'd say so. Yes. Like that was pretty confident. Yeah. You had we had that Twitter exchange before the Super Bowl on Thursday. I was in the airport and you made a uh, I think it was a good tweet. It was motivational, but it was like pretty much like nobody's going to outwork me and nobody does outwork me. But you had referenced training and on the wall. And so I had to get my two cents in there and was like, hold up a second, man. <laughs> you know, we want to talk about time on the wall. Yeah. I don't think you can see this. No, I mean, I know you're always on there. Obviously, you're. Uh, I've scaled back. Yeah, since you're building so, this league, yeah, you're so goddamn busy. But <laughs> I don't know where you you have to bring your stick with you. Put a wall in here somewhere, a brick wall in here. That'd be great. <laughs> I can figure it out.
Yeah. But, but I, I didn't, like, I think early on in my career when I was in my 20s, I didn't really do too much wall ball. I do it, like, once or twice a week. But now um, I've kind of, like, focused more on it just because <clears throat> I think, you know, with the Premier Lacrosse League, it's we're just on NBC and there's, yeah. so, there's so many eyes on it. So it's like, I think a lot of guys are doing that now. You're seeing guys work out a lot more and then like the skill on the field is crazy because guys are like, shit, we're on live TV. Yep. You can't look like an idiot out there. And I mean, it's an interesting point. I think pro athletes in the NBA and the NFL, Major League Baseball, you may take for granted the fact that you're in front of millions of households every weekend. And there's this expectation that's really high because you're the best at what you do in the world. And I think because that has always been the case for those sports distribution wise, that the, the, the largest carrot for them is their contracts and they're working really hard to keep that contract, not get cut and to get to the next one. And for us, we've increased wages, but it's, it's still very novel for a lacrosse player. Very novel. The only time, first time ever we've had this type of distribution and that's fucking meaningful. Because like you said, you're on television. So now all of a sudden, if you fuck up, if you're not playing well, you're going to get beat on Twitter. Yeah, you're going to get beat. And then if you do something awesome, it's going to be everywhere. It's going to be on Sports Center. Yeah, and then like, I think the biggest thing, our media team so talented, and then there's so many freaking cameras on the field. If you get smoked, fall down, like a couple guys tripped over the back of the cage, your ass is on social media. Yeah. And it, you guys, that been looping, like Jackson Place falling over the goal. Like, like who else? It hasn't been great for it, our teammates. No, it hasn't. Callum Robinson with the <laughs> Connor Fields behind the back pass. Kyle, I actually, Kyle I actually texts looked. me. <laughs> Kyle texts me from time to time, like I'm the one making these fucking <laughs> posts on social, and he's like, "Hey, man, look, like Callum and I live together. This is kind of a mess. Like, we get it. Connor Fields threw a fake behind the back. He bit and he scored. Like that was nine months ago. Yeah, and I remember. I remember. But being, that, like, tell Patrick Ewing that. Yeah. Like, you know, and these guys that get posterized in yeah. the 80s, they're yeah. still being shown. It just kind of happens. It does. It's not an, It's not the fair reflection of Callum, who's the captain of the Australian national team, an all-star player, a complete freak. He is probably, if you look at pound for pound and speed and endurance, he's probably, if not the biggest freak in our league. He's fucking huge. Yeah. We were, we were a actually, skilled player. Yeah, we were actually in the water surfing the other day, and some guy – and him were talking and just random conversation. Guy played in the AFL with him or semi-pro football league. The guy played against him, played one game, Callum played one game. They're the only games those two play guys played and they're on the water together and they kind of yeah. recognize. But that guy played football too. It's like yeah. he, he's a freak show. Yeah. Yeah, so the media is all over and you're working on your stick. But how do you back fittest player in the league? Is, is it, It's just subjective. It's like, you know, no one's working out hard than me or do you stay on the field longer? Yeah. How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, just with everything I'm doing through Jay's routines, Doug, and then just on my own, um, I'm kind of, you know, lifting in the morning, speed and agility, and I've kind of picked up my cardio going on, like, runs now. You cut drinking, too. Cut drinking, too, yeah. So, um, And that the, just started on Jan 1. Jan 1. Yeah, Jan 1, that started. Um, I've never done it before in my life, so, but feeling good. It's it's good. I think it's going to help me recovery-wise. And um, Dr. Rhonda Patrick actually put out a tweet yesterday saying, like, drinking and smoking cigarettes I don't smoke cigarettes but uh drinking like is really bad for your brain apparently the article she wrote on it so that yeah, was interesting it's just not it, great no. across the board in excess everything like eating meat's not good in excess yeah. eating you know a ton of fiber isn't good in excess so yeah yeah the the uh the thing about uh the two of us is we're constantly looking to improve certain practices whether it's the type of training you know spending more time doing alternate training cross sport 
the things that we're eating, the things that we're drinking, things that we're avoiding. You know, I was, I was uh, actually sitting with Darren Ravel over the weekend and he had pulled up some photos and he was the first to publish uh, pictures of the Joe Montana era as they were talking about the 49ers being in the Super Bowl. And there was this, there were a crop of photos that hadn't, hadn't been published in 40 some odd years and they were of uh, starting quarterbacks in the NFL at halftime, and they used to drink carbonated sodas and smoke cigarettes. Because <laughs> it was very common back then for athletes to smoke cigarettes. I mean, most of America smoked cigarettes. Yeah. And it just goes to show that how, how much evolution there is around the way people train for their sport, the way they practice, the way they you know, think about the game, the way they eat and sleep. Yeah, I mean, and you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. I forget the, I forget the movie. What's the Iron? Uh, yeah, Generation Iron. Gen- no, 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 Generation no. Iron is the more recent one. No, the old one. Um, yeah, isn't it your favorite movie? Yeah, I forget that? The hell, what the All right, go on. I'll, I'll pull it up. But uh, he's after he wins the competition. He's in the he's in the room smoking weed, and they're all in there just smoking. And yeah. like, these guys are like the most fittest guys in the world, and they're just sitting there smoking. So it goes to show pumping you pumping iron. Pumping iron. That's what it is. If you yeah. haven't seen Pumping Iron, go yeah, watch that. You got to see it. Psychotic. It's actually really good, and uh, but we're not giving it its credit because we're not remembering the name. But yeah. it's a it's a legendary one. Yeah, he gets in Lou Ferrigno's head the entire movie. So we're we're also I'm going to tease this. We're also. Uh, considering American Ninja Warrior, not we, you. Yes. Because you're the fittest athlete in the league. So if you go on American Ninja Warrior, the expectation is that you're going to win. I mean, I'm training to win it, yes. But I could trip and fall over the first obstacle and fall on my face. So They they have uh, they have gyms, right? American Ninja Warrior gyms? Yes, I'm going to try to get to one uh, this weekend, actually. Yeah, because yeah, there's a couple things. When would you go on air for that if it goes through? March 15th. March 15th, so it would be before the season. Yeah, it's in Universal Studios. Uh. Yeah. You're going to have hundreds of thousands of followers yeah, if, I know. if you go and win that thing. Especially if I win it. But if I also fall on my face in the first stop, I'll have hundreds of thousands of followers because, like, look at this idiot. No, no. It'll just be hundreds of thousands of views from the virality. <laughs> they won't actually follow you. <laughs> Hopefully you get both. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, staying on social, we talked about our latest tweets. You, had, uh, you go back and forth with Nick Osello a lot. Yeah. What's the beef there, and are you guys going to fight this year? <laughs> if he gets on the field, maybe. But um, we uh, <laughs> that, that seems to be that seems to be the biggest and most sticky chirp. Yeah. Um, no, we just have we just disagree on some certain things. I forget what the tweet was, but uh, yeah, we usually go back and forth. Jerry Raganish usually uh, rubs salt and just kind of tease that up for us. But yeah, I think it's good banner, and it's uh, it's I think I think it's good and shows how competitive he is, how competitive I am, and. Um, we don't back down from each other. So, what about when you bet Garrett Apple over Twitter that he wasn't in the Redwoods weren't going to win the championship? You bet him a thousand bucks. Yeah, that was that was pure emotion. I mean, we were coming off of not making the playoffs because they knocked yeah. us out. So I was like really freaking pissed. Well, technically, they didn't <laughs> knock us out. Yeah. They got in. Yeah, and we didn't. I just because we won and they won. Yeah, and then that, the Archers, you know, could have also knocked us out. Yeah, and then there, there was I'm like being a salty. Yeah, yeah, there was like a YouTube clip of them talking shit. There's yeah. no need to bring our name up, and they did. And so I was like, "Fuck this!" And so you went after I him. Just bet him a thousand bucks. He took it. He took it. He and paid it. He paid it on Venmo. Yeah, but I was sitting in the. I was remember sitting in the suite um, with my mom and my whole entire family came. My grandmom's first game. She came to watch. We got her butts kicked. But um, watching the championship game, the the, the whipstakes are winning by a large margin. I'm like, "Oh, this thing's in the bag." 
And then, you know, bang, 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 Walter scores the go-ahead goal. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I start firing. I start, I just opened up Venmo. I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to get ready to send this right now. And yeah. then they tie, and then Rambo scores the game winner. I'm like, holy crap. But. Oh, man, I forgot about that. I, I didn't even, because we were on the sidelines calling the game. I was And sweating. the game was so good. I forgot that there was a grip on the line. I was sweating. You were like, you got to be kidding me. You, you were... You were probably already spending half the thousand bucks at halftime because the whips were up by ten. Yeah, goals. I wasn't buying. I was buying stuff. Yeah, yeah. you're like, hey, I got this next round. Yep, I was buying stuff on Amazon. What yeah. have you done with the thousand bucks? You just threw it in the bank. I just threw it in the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So make that thousand dollars turn into a thousand and ten. Yeah, thanks, Garrett. Next Appreciate year. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, your path was non-traditional in the lacrosse. You didn't start playing until high school. Didn't start playing until my ninth grade year. So you were in ninth grade, and uh, I tell kids at our events that we instruct that you started as an offensive player, you played attack. Yeah. And you played attack at Salisbury too, right? But you went to JUCO first? No, I didn't play attack at Salisbury. I was an attackman through high school. I was probably the best attackman in the world. Um, <laughs> and then uh, from there, from there, they realized I was a better defenseman, so I switched over to long pole. But no, I played attack. I was an attackman at uh Archbishop Curley, MIAA school. It was, I think we were in the B conference then. See, they, why weren't your stick skills better, or aren't they better because you played attack? So, you know, your stick skills aren't great. Yeah. And that's why, you're on, wall, <laughs> that's why you're on the wall now. Yeah. I think I got pretty good stick skills. What, what were your stick skills like when you played attack? I mean, you can imagine. They're pretty rough. It'd probably be like, <laughs> it'd probably be like RJ picking up a stick and running around. <laughs> Similar to that. That's how bad it was. No, no. that That's really bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, 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 that's like, um, it's super bad. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, from there I went to um, CCBC Essex Community College, and then I played midfield there. I was on the second line. Um, and then sophomore year, um, our buddy we uh, talked about, Dan Carmack, he was yeah. a starting LSM. He went to UMBC. Um, so I, they were, we need another long stick. So I jumped up and said, hey, I'm not going to play in college. I'm just going to go have fun with this and picked up a long stick and ran with it. So. Oh, that was your thought. Yeah, because you're a really good soccer player too. Yeah. Do you like for me my my path to obsession with lacrosse came around kind of like the creativity and ownership of the stick and I was I was like became a very skilled offensive player so I actually just genuinely loved the sport more than my previous love which was basketball but your path is much different and you grinded it out and you kept grinding it out especially if you weren't drafted in the collegiate draft and you got the supplemental so like how, how how do you think about that? Is is lacrosse something that you love, or do you just like love being great or striving to be great at whatever it is that you're doing? No, I think I think I, I love lacrosse. I love the process, the whole process I had from high school up to like I know I wanted to play in college, and then like I was on the wall every single day trying to get better because I sucked when I was a freshman, just picking up a stick for the first time, and then from there. Um, you know, with the junior college, I kind of was like, I'm not getting recruited. This yeah. is like, I'm I'm not going to play anymore. We lived in it. Dundalk, so like, is that like the Baltimore? That's the Baltimore area, but it's not, as most people realize, it's not Baltimore lacrosse. No, it's not. There's actually more kids there play soccer, basketball. There's, yeah. I can't name many lacrosse players that ever. Dundalk's played. a very blue collar city. Yep, very blue collar. Yeah, Dundalk is, uh, you know, just small town, small community. Everyone kind of knows each other. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I didn't like I said I didn't start playing until my freshman year, and then when I got to junior college, <clears throat> um, I didn't think I was going to play because I wasn't getting recruited. All my buddies went to UMBC, um, and then Salisbury saw me play at the I think it was like the semifinal game. They were like, hey, you know, 
we got a spot for you to like walk on. So I walked on to Salisbury and then that's how I, that's how I got there. And then when did it start clicking for you as a defender? Cause even playing short stick, we had Drew Snyder in here talking about it and how he had started as a short stick D midi. And then you're able to get your pullback in your hands. Imagine when there was space and Emart went over to Denver to play perhaps. So you had an opportunity to start. No. So I got to, when I got to San Fran, it was Eric Martin starting, um, Howley from Maryland, he's like yeah. an all-time great there, legend. Yeah. Um, and Steve Panarelli, who was coming out of Syracuse, who was really, really good, who you played against probably. Um, so those three guys are sitting in front of me. I'm like, well, there's no spots here. Like, here's a short stick. So I started playing D-Midi. Throughout the middle of the year, um, I think we were our record was shit. And then they were like, okay, they're like we're going to put you down low this week. And then from there on, I haven't, I haven't looked back from it. <clears throat> All right, here's a quick break in the conversation with Kyle Hartzell. This episode is being supported by shop.premierlacrosseleague.com. That is our URL for our merchandise. Our merchandise pops off. We sell more merchandise than any other league on a per-fan basis. What does that mean? They call it per-caps. So you take a measurement of people in stands and how much product they purchase on a weekly basis, and our numbers are 4X what any other league does in the world. And that's because our fans are crazy for the PLL, and we're crazy about you. So to access that official PLL merch, go to shop.premierlacrosseleague.com, and you can get Kyle Hartzell's jersey, his T-shirt, and your boys, and any other guest that's been on Unbuckled Podcast. Back to the show. And how would you describe your style of play? Um, I think just, you know, I'm very athletic. I, I like to get the ball off the ground, push and transition. I think people know that. I'm, you know, offensive threat, run down the field aggressive um yeah i mean how'd you figure out how to shoot so hard because that that happened probably four years into your career professionally and then all of a sudden you started shooting from like 20 yards and they were going everyone was like when did this happen and then you had a hundred an 11 mile an hour shot at the all-star game yep so it was like real power and accuracy i think just working out with jay right i think all the work as I was doing with Jay, obviously that's making you stronger than shooting with you, I think. We've shot like freaking every day up at Boys Latin. Shot all the time. Um, so I think when I focused on shooting every day, that's when I kind of started building my power and realized, you know, I was like, I don't even know when the first shot from that deep was out. I'd never seen anyone do it. I was just like, I'm just going to pull up from out here. And it went in. I'm like, huh. Yeah, <laughs> and then <laughs> I just kept doing it, and they just kept that year was crazy. That was it, before Steph Curry started dropping bombs. Now everyone's yeah. shooting from mid court. And then one, uh, I hate to, I'm probably gonna get a text, you know, from from this guy, but you know, Scott Rogers, I was behind the freaking restraining line. Yeah, and that shot was 22 one. yards. Yeah, and I hit that stick side high. Stick side high. Um, we'll get him on at some point to defend it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the sun was low. The sun was I setting. Think was a, I think it was a night game. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, I, I, th those balls, I think if you remember the, the balls would kind of like curve and move. Yeah. Um, and that's what goalies like Drew Adams, who's a good friend of mine. He said like, anytime you'd shoot the ball, he had, they had no idea where it was going because the ball is curving. It's moving. It looks like it was going over the goal. It yeah. would dip down. Like, so here's my theory on that. I, it's, I'm glad you brought it up because I've thought about it a ton and all balls move. So the rubber, especially if, if you have a mesh pocket and you have a number of shooting strings, depending on the release, if you're snapping your, your, your wrist, they will dip, and any shooter out there is thinking about this. Just imagine missing the net from time to time. Say you're shooting from 10 to 12 yards, and you miss the net high. It'll take an immediate dip, almost like a sinker, about five to seven yards later. So the interesting thing is I, I believe there is a, there's a, a yardage in between what's considered a good shot, which is 10 to 14 yards, 
in the pro game, it actually moves further out. A good shot. If you're shooting at 10 yards, it's going to go in the pros. So if you're at 14 yards, that's the equivalent of shooting from 10 to 12 in college. So call 14 to 16 yards a good shot to take in pro. If you're shooting from 18, it's going to get saved, from my perspective, 9 out of 10 times. If you take a step outside of 18, you go to 19 to 20, that's when you're giving the, the, enough distance between your release to the net, to that ball to have that sinker moment or that like, you know, like little curve from right to left or left to right. And so I, when, I st- when I started studying you, because I think you had, I mean, you had 20 or so goals that year. I was like, how are all these things going from so deep? Because we shoot the same speed and the ball is moving. And so I started stepping back and shooting. I didn't have the courage to do it like you because you know I'd have gotten chased off the field. Well, if you remember, our record was like 0-12. I had nothing to lose. So yeah. I was shooting from all over the but, place. But, there's, but the point is like there's something to it, right, yeah. where you're giving yourself enough distance between your release and the net for that ball to then take shape. Uh, because 10 to 12 yards are still so close that it's either going to go straight in the direction that you're aiming. Uh, so anyway, you had figured it out. That ball was moving. Yeah, I think from uh, the other the other coin, the, the other side of the coin is goalies. The mentality of a goalie. Yeah, they hate. They're supposed to. Shots. They're supposed to save 20 yard shots. They're like oh, I, I have to save. That. I think that gives them more pressure. Even like staring down the barrel of someone shooting for 20 yards. Like oh, I got to save this, but. I think there's pressure. They're like, what if this goes in? I think they're actually thinking about that, and sometimes they miss it. Or they're yeah, thinking about it and, and think about this. We, we talked about it and worked on it a lot with Jack and Cannon, who's you know, the best goalie in the world or considered one of the best goalies in the world for us. Amazing, amazing, true reaction goalie. Most goalies are taking shots from 12 to 14 yards in practice, whether they're getting shot on by friends or teammates or coaches, and then they'll work on shots inside of five to six yards. So all of their reaction time, just like a pitcher on a mound to a, to a baseball player uh, right on the plate, is like you're working on that quick, like ball gets there that quickly. And so you're reacting from the center of the net to the upper right, left, lower right, left corners. Now all of a sudden if someone's shooting from 18 to 20 and you're not you know, practicing that, the, the hit is like this, like a little bit slower. And sometimes Jack would beat the – beat the ball to the corner but it would go yeah. and he would miss it because he would punch so fast from two point line that he would actually beat the ball to the corner and his reflex back the ball would go so if you dropped it in super slow-mo so there's also to your point that side of the coin goalies need to get repetition against 18 yard shots otherwise that timing of release to when the ball hits the goal line is not something they're used to and their timing's thrown off they're going to miss it yeah yeah i think you know also goalies don't want to take two-point shots in practice from guys that can shoot the ball 105 miles an hour they get hit in the thigh they get they're like i don't want to see that shit so it's crazy when they don't when they don't want to see those shots and they throw the backup in there they're not getting those repetitions i think you're right on that like yeah they're not seeing that yeah yeah so you know it's it's a it's a thing that we'll see more and more because the game's different now at the pll so the the field's shorter so i think that's the other area where you you and other guys are becoming more and more valuable because there's not as much risk to go in transition because we took 10 yards out of the middle of the field, not out of the end lines. So now all of a sudden, you know, if you, if you previously wagered getting your close defenders up and out and it didn't work out that you'd be vulnerable in a counterattack, now getting back is relatively easy because of that 10 yard space that we've closed in the middle of the field. So I think that's why a lot of 
defenders have had some success leaking and taking risks. Yeah, I think you're seeing pretty much every defenseman that's on the field um, knows how to shoot the ball. And I don't think you saw that in the game, you know, when we were playing uh, back when we were in our 20s, not a lot of guys were shooting the ball, um, I don't think. Unless I'm completely off there. But uh, I think you're seeing, I mean, every PLL game, I think a long pole scores pretty much. uh, Or kind of close to that but yeah. yeah like guys like matt reese jared newman who had a big year shooting from behind the arc yeah. um those guys can just freaking bring it i mean and they're starting to realize that and i think i don't know where they were seeing that at but now i think our game's moving in that direction the college game you're seeing more guys that can carry the ball down the field and shoot uh, at the college level too and you'll I, see them coming up in the draft i mean you'll see those guys uh next or this, this upcoming the season. first game weekend of college lacrosse was this past weekend and I, I put a tweet out that there was more behind the back passes in one day than there were 10 years ago all season long i think coaches are giving the freedom to players to do it. And then to your point, players are just getting so good. Yeah, I mean, the Granum meant behind the back. I mean, if you look at that play, I think O'Keefe sli- or slips. The guy leaves, he slips off of it. Um, actually, the behind the back pass is a quicker pass than doing a pull pass or rolling back to the no outside. Because him throwing that ball, it's, it's immediately in his stick. And then if he did you know, a, a roll out and threw it or a, you know, you know, open his shoulder up and throw it across, there could be a defenseman there. That is actually interesting you brought that one up because there were a lot of beautiful behind-the-back passes off of movement, two-man game, like really high-level plays. But Grant's behind-the-back was a 10 out of 10 skill because you're right. He swept across the front of the net, and he's typically not in that position. O'Keefe was high crease. His man came off on the trail side of Grant, so he came to Grant's back, and Grant didn't create separation from his defender, so he had a guy on his gloves in front of him. So he had two guys front and back. His back was to where O'Keefe faded. So O'Keefe didn't fade in front of him, which would have been his natural position as a lefty shooter yep. in front of Grant's eyes. It would have just been an easy forward pass. He was behind him. So Grant had the feeling of space. So he didn't get to see Grant, or he didn't get to see uh, O'Keefe. He knew where he was. And then the, the actual execution of the pass, we call it a saucer pass. So it's behind the back, but it's really like a shovel off of his hip. And he has to throw it into space versus a typical follow through on a behind the back where the head's coming over your shoulder and you're able to snap it through with your top hand. This one's like kind of flipping a pizza and it's right behind your hip. And so it's beautifully done. And if O'Keefe can catch it right in a shooting position, which he did, it's cash. Yeah. He looks just like uh, Marcus Holman. Marcus Holman throws that kind of same flip the saucer. behind the back you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a big-time indoor behind the back because if you think about it, it's actually easier to catch because it's the ball is coming up in front of your eyes versus down. So it's always easier to catch something that's rising to you because your eyes can track it versus coming down. So in the power play on the, in the NLL, I used to learn, instead of throwing a traditional behind the back, which comes high to low, to throw that saucer pass. And anyway, these guys are picking it up in high school. Yeah, and we ne- we never got exposure to it. One because the games weren't distributed, and two is you know I, I think we had more handcuffs, tighter handcuffs. Yeah, I think also since all the you know social media era and all the content's being put out, these players are seeing guys do that in a game. Like yeah. you know you're around the world pass in the All Star game. How many kids are working on that after seeing that? I think yeah. a ton. So I think guys and are Lyles start- like backhand that, yeah. that he's you know really uh, been known for. The goal coming around and scoring. Yeah, every every attackman now has that yeah. in their repertoire. Yeah, absolutely. I think Rob Pinnell kind of developed that too, and he's kind of, I mean, just as good or better than him at it because that's Rob scores a lot of goals like yeah. that. So, and I think they were probably one in the same. T- you know, Rob's older, but uh, yeah, it's a good point. But but everyone's got you almost have to have it as an attackman. Before it was like, wow, what a skill 
it's like dunking from the free throw line. Now everyone can dunk from the free throw line. It doesn't matter. Kobe was the first to really throw it down through the legs on a dunk. Yeah. You know, one of the first. And it, you know, won a dunk competition. People are like, what? <laughs> he just put the ball through his legs in air and dunked. And now, like, you know, kids are doing that in high school. Yeah. They're just watching their, you know, they're lo- they look up the people, look up the certain athletes, and they're going to emulate that in their training and doing it on the field. So, what about your social media? You talk about social, especially your pregame. We, I, I love that shit. The the psychotic pictures. Yeah, I don't even know when that started, but I think I posted one and somebody. I got a bunch <laughs> the of feedback. Psychotic from it. pictures. Yeah, I've been. I'm really big on No Country for Old Men. That's yeah. psycho. Yeah, and then Patrick. What's his Bateman. name? Ha- uh, Javier Barden, yeah, something like that. Yeah, he's got some good photos. He's the that villain movie. in No Country for Old Men. You post, you like to post in the one where he's sitting on a couch with a glass, glass of milk. Of milk. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks really twisted. Yeah, in that scene, he's waiting for that guy to come home so he can so he can gas him. He's, what was what was the uh, gun that he would use? It was like a staple gun, or what was it like an air blower? Air, air compressed, like shh, I don't even know what the hell it was. <laughs> it's was some psychotic contraption, so it's really silent, so you can't hear it. It's like a shotgun. God. Yeah, but yeah, you that, do Christian Bale, Christian, American Psycho, American Psycho, and then Jean Claude Van Damme was John, was recently because of the whip snakes, where he's like feeding that snake, yeah, yeah. <laughs> knocking it right between the eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Tom Schreiber actually loves those posts. He always texts me, but Tom will actually send me when we're not playing the archers. He'll send me like, how about this one today? He'll send me some. He sends you me like some good you ones. like the Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter is good. I mean, yeah. Hidden. What do you do? How do you, do you just go into Google and, and search psychos? Yeah, psychos or psychotic movie characters. Psychotic movie characters. Yeah. And then and then you'll upload it to your Instagram. You'll write game day. Write game day on it. Yep. Hashtag game day. The kids love it. I, I think it's the best follow. I'm I'm surprised it hasn't taken you from fifty thousand followers <laughs> to two hundred and fifty thousand. It's so funny. I'm gonna start getting more kids involved in the in the college season. Get them to post it. So. You, oh, I see that. Yeah. Hashtag post the psycho picture today. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Few people will probably use that hashtag, but I get it. <laughs> <laughs> what other pregame routines do you have? Um, You're considered wild. Every team that I've been on, it's like from Team USA to the Stealth to the Atlas. And I imagine this was a case in Salisbury, but you're widely considered one of the best locker room guys. Yeah. Well, I hope so. That's kind of like, you know, when I leave this game, I hope. Um, you know, I'm remembered as being a good one, a good person, and two, a great teammate. Um, I try to bring that to every locker room. But yeah, pregame routine. I mean, me and you were roommates. I don't really do anything too special. Now, now it's a little different. We got uh, cameras in our face every uh, day. We got B Rob comes in, knocks on the door. Sometimes I'm half dressed. Yeah, B Rob shooting you. Um, well, we're not going to publish. Yeah, we won't publish that. You're nuts. <laughs> On our Instagram. But no, uh, you know, get on the team bus, um, getting off, and then just kind of staying loose. You don't want to be too tight for a game. And I think as I've gotten older, um, I kind of approach every game more more loosely than anything because if you're so tense, it uh, takes a while to get going. So. Do you have any rituals? We have a ritual. you remember what it is? You ask. You typically ask me in, in the hotel room. Sometimes you'll ask me the same question in the locker room. No. You don't know what it is? I think I'll, I'll know it when you tell me. Yeah, you ask me who's going to get it. <laughs> who's getting carved up today? And yeah, then you yeah. say anyone yeah. who wants it. Yeah, whoever steps up. Whoever steps up to the plate. <laughs> you go, hey, who's getting carved up today? <laughs> You're like, uh, anybody. <laughs> Coach, whoever wants it. Whoever steps up. A fan, whoever wants it. Uh, smelling salts? Smelling salts. Yeah, smelling salts are a big thing. Scott Rogers, I think he, that psycho has like a supplement company. I don't know if he's endorsed by him, but it's like a it's a jar with the material in it. Yeah, so now we it. don't need the packets. It's like in the jar. You just shake it and open the lid and sniff it. And yeah, you're ready to roll. I still like the packets. I do too. Tom, you ever see Tom Brady do it? He takes yeah, he'll a solo suck it cup. down. 
So he has a solo cup, and there's I don't know how many is inside of it, but he just, they just smash the solo cup, and he just hammering the solo cup. Yeah. See, I saw him do that before, like a Super Bowl game, I think like two years ago. I didn't start doing it until I played in the NLL because it's very much an NHL thing. Yep. And so I think that's where the the rub is for a lot of the players who grew up playing hockey and. Uh, and then also indoor lacrosse, especially in the summer, you're playing every other night. So there's a ton of games, which is the case in the NHL. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to get up for games when you're young, when you're in high school, when you're college, because it's, there's still a, a novelty to playing at the highest level. Uh, respective to your age. And then you're also, the volume is still relatively low. When you start pros and then you get into five, 10 years plus as a veteran, you know, we're talking about logging hundreds and thousands of games and thousands of practices. And so I, when I think about it, it's, it's less about me not being excited. It's more about like, hey, there's a sense of normalcy here, but I know that the peak uh, emotion that I can get to is going to help me perform better because now we're just seeing it. Every athlete's doing it. Yeah, I mean the one that's viral. I've showed you is the two guys on the NHL bench and they have yeah. like a dance. They're like he's like teasing him with was the it salts. Like, it, it's it's either the Maple Leaves or the Canucks. I think it was I- Islanders. No, it was Islanders. Islanders. Yeah, the guy was a warrior athlete. And I they forget pass his name. it back and forth and they do it for camera. And he's like teasing them. He's yeah. like teasing them with it and then they got like a shoulder bump thing and they hit the ice. But we should come up with something like that. Yeah, we should. You see, like Ovechkin, they they have a really good ritual. The Caps, they just like goof around, they scream at each other, and they all have like secret handshakes. They're like bumping each other. Yeah, cup checks, they smack each other in the balls with their sticks. It's psychotic. Yeah, I think that keeps them loose during the before the game. Though, it's just rituals, right? How do you get back into get back into the groove that makes you the best player that you can be, and and the the most uh, relatable and probably. traditional form of this is shooting a free throw yeah you know, we were always taught that not the why but we were taught when you get to the line to have your rhythm and go back to it each time it's a it's a physical way to reset your brain so that you can go and execute especially because there's so much emotion so much shit that's happening on the floor you get fouled there's pressure it's 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter you're down by one you have two shots or you're fouled in the beginning of the first quarter so how do you get back to the same mindset and i think you know, going to back to whether it's salts or posting on Instagram or, you know, communicating in the locker room, getting in the locker room early, going through your ritual or your routines, it's to get you to that headspace that you know you're best at. Yeah. I couldn't, I don't imagine what it's like shooting a free throw in an NBA game, but, you know, those guys make crazy shots and they're at the line. It's quiet or they're in a, in a way arena and they're getting screamed at, cussed at. Yeah. It's a hard shot to make. It, you know, it's, it's, it's like kicking a field goal. It's a really high pressure yeah. situation for people who are just paid to make sure they're going to capitalize on that moment. I mean, low-key during Super Bowl, you see the opening quarter, there were two field goals, weren't easy field goals to make. No. And they were like fourth and one decisions, and you're like, ah, take the points. But, damn, if that guy misses that, which the Patriots had a lot of trouble with their kickers in the middle of the season, they lose the game. So there's real pressure. It goes back to like those, those kickers. They have the rituals too. Yeah, I mean, we missed. A, I'm a Ravens fan. We missed the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Cundiff missed a, like a 23 yard field goal, and like they sh- they pan the camera over to the sideline. Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs. The looks on their faces are like someone just died. They're like, I remember the, how that. Did, how the hell did he just miss that? Right. But it's like a, a 23. Like you could probably go kick that 10 times, but like in that moment, it's like he was probably had so much shit going through. There's his head. so much that happens. Yeah. 
be cool to see like the psychology of those guys, like what they do in those moments. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. People are like, oh yeah, I'd like to be a that'd be an easy job being a kicker in the NFL. You're not nope. getting hit. It's like eh, I'd rather be, I'd rather be like a kick returner. Yeah. <laughs> that. But yeah. yeah. All right. Talk about what you do here with the PLL with academies. Uh, PLL Academy. Um, myself and Joe Walters were kind of responsible for booking all the events um, across across the country. Pretty much, we're I don't know how many con- countries, how many states. We are. Well, we now Japan multiple. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, you did PLL Academies in Japan. Yeah, we're in Japan. We had over 100 kids there. That was crazy seeing that. We had translators. Um, that Amazing. was my first time. I was talking so fast because I'm used to like teaching American kids, and the guy's like, "Hey, man, I can't like process all the chance. Slow down. Slow down. Yeah, slow down." So I slowed down. But yeah, we're in uh, a lot of different states across across our country. And then, uh, like you said, in Japan, we were over there doing. We did one there with all of our athletes. That was awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we're, I just book events. You know, we kind of do our trainings, positional training, um, defensive face-off, goalies, um, offensive guys. Guys like Ryan Trenner, who's been awesome. Uh, Bryce Young, who we've been booking a lot lately. He's been freaking – we get really good feedback about about him. Maryland, Maryland Terrapin program. I'm not surprised. Tillman runs a tight ship over there. So yeah. all those guys are so fundamental playing defense. So I think it's good for kids that those guys get that teaching and then get to pass that along. But, yeah, I'm responsible for booking all those events. I do some players tour stuff with you. Yeah. Rabel Overnight we yeah. do as well. Um, and then we have our big events, Defensive Overnight, which we do at Bryn Ath and Tucker Dirk. And, um, but, yeah, I'm pretty much – been doing it my whole life yeah. uh, but it's, it's been good to do it now to grow this league because it ultimately grows the league that we're playing in um but yeah it's, it's been awesome i think that puts you uh, if i remember uh on some of your posts after uh the tragedy of the helicopter crash here in la that took the life of a number of people and uh their family members as well as uh kobe and gianna or Gigi and uh I think one of the ways that you were processing it and we all process it differently was around the impact that you have on kids through coaching. And I think what's, what's been really cool about PLL Academy is that we focus on what we know we have, which is the best players in the world and their ability to interact one-to-one with players all over the country and give specific instruction that's tailored to what that kid wants to learn or who they want to be like or connect with. And there are kids who come to our events who just want to meet you or Bryce Young, um, and they get a ton of joy and entertainment out of doing that. And then there are kids that really just want to learn how to throw an overhead check, and they get a ton of enjoyment out of that, and then there are those that want both. And um, and I think that that's really cool, and we partner with a lot of you know full-service organizations that have been around and, and helped grow from rec to, to club lacrosse um how do you you mentioned a number of guys but how do you or book them probably better question is what stands out to you about bryce and others like why do you want to continue to book certain players over others um i think you know recognizing who the up-and-coming young stars in our league are i think bryce young was probably arguably one of the best close defensemen last year i I put him in the top five just watching him play i didn't know who the hell he was until Last year, we actually got in a pretty heated argument on the field. We were playing in D.C. I came down and scored that. Uh, Connor, while I was on Connor Kelly, I came around, act like I was shooting a two-pointer, scored. Somebody said something. I started talking shit to like the entire defense, and I like I think I said something like, "You grab that ball, autograph it for you." And like he came down and f- and then he came down and scored. Then he started running his mouth to me, and then. Yeah kind of got into it we squashed so that. you're the reason why bryce came down and scored and we lost that game now now that pretty much yeah, yeah. it's my all my fault 
all my so fault. Should have just kept your fucking mouth closed. And Jack probably should have saved it, but <laughs> but it all is right. what it is. So you found out who Bryce was. So found out who Bryce was, and then um, yeah, so um, just realizing who the up and coming stars are in our league. You know, we want to get them in front of uh, you know young athletes and kind of they're the kids that are probably looking up to these guys. You know, um, and booking those guys is very important because they're developing their coaching curriculum too at a young age. And now when they're hopefully our age, you know, 34, they're going to be doing this for the league in the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, but just recognizing who the up-and-coming stars are, who the guys who are going to, I think, are going to be around for a long, long time and have long careers, um, they're the kind of guys I'm kind of keying in on on yeah. that. And that's no, no BS to any of the other players or ill will to any other players. But, yeah, I can't book the entire league across, across the country. But, yeah, yeah I'm just focusing on those guys right now. How do you feel about this season for us? I think it's gonna be year of the bull. Hashtag year of the bull. We got oh, there's a, another hashtag. Hashtag a lot of hashtags. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I think you know last year left a sour taste in our mouth. Obviously, starting the league last year, and then um, you know we wanted to be in those in those games, the playoffs, and then yeah. ultimately be in the championship first year of the league. Um, so I think that left a bad taste in our mouth. Um, and guys are motivated off of that. Um, and the coaching staff we have, Ben Rubier, Rick Beardsley, I think, and Stephen Brooks, I think we have a star-studded one. I think we have one of the best, if not the best, coaching staff uh, in the league. So I think having those guys and how – I mean, you played against Ben Rubier. I played yep. with him and against him. He's a, he's a tough son of a I've bitch. I've coached with him a bunch. Yeah, he's a tough son of a bitch, man. Yeah. He's He's – Probably one of the toughest attack when I've ever seen play the game. Playing with him, um, you know, professionally back in my early days. Um, but yeah, playing with him, seeing how tough, how how much of a competitor he is, and how much he cares about this sport. Um, and he's just a great lacrosse mind. I think yeah. he's gonna be great for us. He turns it on when he puts his helmet on. Yeah, he flips a switch. Yep, he's competitive as hell. Mean, doesn't run out of energy. Will chase your ass down all over the field. Will let you know it. And I remember being like, gosh, this guy's a competitor. Yeah. And then you got Steven Brooks. He, you know, I had a conversation with him. He's already freaking watching film. Yeah. I mean, he's watched every single game. He's, I think he tallied all the shots from the offensive side. I guess he's obviously going to be teaching the offense, but he's tallied all the shots we've missed where we were bad at. And he's just looking for areas to improve. He asked a ton of questions, but I think he's another guy. Even last year when he was in and out of the lineup, he was like, man, I I really want to coach. And Hmm. I'm glad he's on board now. And he's, Pretty much, you know, he's back on the team. So yeah. having him is going to be great. And then you got Rick Beardsley, who was four-time All-American at Syracuse. I've never met him in person. Um, I talked to him through social media and also have his number through text. But he seems like uh, – I don't know what he was like playing for. I, I, that's a guy I watched highlight film of yeah. when I was in high school and stuff, his over-the-head checks, shit like that. But he seems like he's going to bring a lot of energy to the back end, and uh, I think we're going to see a you know a, a different defense this yeah, year. Yeah, he's got that Andy Towers personality. and he but he's also one of the best defenders to ever play the game. I'd like to see those two fight maybe before the game. Be I'd a, jump in there. <laughs> I, would, I probably wouldn't need to. Who do you think wins that one? Between Towers and Beardsley? Beardsley. Lock. <laughs> it's, it's a lock. Yeah, man. Coach Towers is probably going to be on the next flight out here. Yeah, well, you know, lock the doors. I think he'll, I think he'll kick one down. <laughs> well, put his head right through the door. <laughs> I'll just be waiting for him on the long pole. He almost, we're in, uh, where were we at? We were in Ohio, and we're having breakfast. He comes up behind me. I like reach back to shake his hand. He put me like an arm bar and hyperextended my damn elbow. I mean, almost broke my arm. Yeah, <laughs> he is the hardest back slapper. Yeah, I've ever been 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 around. And I like to back slap. 
Yeah. I, I like. There's nothing I like more than just getting my two meat cleavers around <laughs> another guy and just giving him a big old hug and you know feeling their lats, see what I'm up against. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many concussions he deal, dealt out to chaos players this year, but the guys who score a goal, he was headbutting with their helmets on. I like to give Andy a nice little slap on the lat, Yep. and then he'll feel it, and he will absolutely put his hand right through my skin. I mean, when are we getting him on WWE? I mean, he, he fits the mold. I mean, he can break he can break skin with his back slap. Yep. <laughs> yeah. God. Avoid He's, a headbutt. Avoid a headbutt at all costs. Guys. He'll split a helmet right in half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll uh we'll make sure we, we see through on, on that tilt between Beardsley and Towers. Yep. Be good to tee that up. Tell the media team to keep the cameras on those two. All right. Where are we at here? We could talk for days. We've got to work out tonight. We do. Thanks for coming on, dog. Thank you, Paul. <clears throat> Big shout out to Kyle Hartzell for joining us on this episode of Unbuckle Podcast. And right now, I'd ask each of you to go follow Kyle everywhere on social media. Let's start with Instagram at khartzell81. And please rate and review this podcast. Currently, we're number three. We were number four last week. Now we're three on top sports news shows, Apple Podcast ratings. Let's get to number one. Next week certified legend and back to a Redwoods player. He's a midfielder. He texted me and said this is his first podcast ever. He's stoked. Welcome to the show, Joe Walters. See you then. Mm.